Hi, everybody, and welcome to the podcast where we talk about show business, creativity, fashion, travel, old friends, and new adventures. Michelle Bruckner, and welcome to the Showgirl Tip of the Day podcast, episode one. This podcast has a sponsor, the lovely Maison Marcel Boutique, 134 Kings Highway East in Haddonfield, New Jersey, www.maisonmarcelboutique.com. It's a place where you can buy Paris vintage. The owner is a special friend of mine, and she travels to Paris when travel is allowed, of course, and she brings back the finest Paris vintage in all sizes. It's one of my favorite places to go. Thanks, Andrea, for the lovely sponsor today. So everyone, it is pouring rain outside as I record this podcast, and the wind is blowing. I am praying in my little house on the prairie house here in Garrison, New York, that we don't lose electricity. And those of you who know me, we often lose electricity. Anyway, let's begin this podcast right at the start. Today, this is an introduction and I'm going to have guests, but tonight it's just me and you talking. So my name is Michelle Bruckner and I grew up on Long Island and it was one hour away from New York City, but yet it was worlds and worlds away. And we used to take school buses into the city as a special trip, and we would go see Broadway shows. Annie was the first Broadway show I saw. I saw Barnum, too, with Glenn Close. That was amazing. Jim Dale as Barnum. And it would be cold, November or December, but even not that long ago, it was much colder than it is now. And I would smell the chestnuts roasting on the street corners. And I would see the city people bustling and hurrying by. And we would sit in our seats and we would watch the most amazing performers sing, dance, and act. And I was thrilled beyond belief. I remember in Annie, I used to see the chorus girls with their round-toed T-strap shoes. And those of you that know me know I love a good character shoe. I live in my Leducas now, but I remember those shoes in Annie, and I was hooked. I knew right then and there this was something that I wanted to also do. When we left the theater, we would get back in the bus, and we drove down 55th Street between 8th and 9th. That was my fantasy block. And I remember in the wintertime, they wrapped the little trees that lined the street with white lights. And I just remember the shimmer and the sparkle. I was on 55th the other day, and I just remembered how it was something that I, it was somewhere I always wanted to live. What's ironic, though, is that joining show business and the performing arts as a profession was not exactly favored upon. It was something that was seen as something great to do, but it wasn't exactly something that they encouraged. I remember sitting in seventh grade in my guidance counselor's office and the guidance counselor told me, 
You know, if you want to be a dancer, your career will be over by the time you're 25. And I remember saying to him, but isn't it important? Isn't it important to do the thing that you want to do no matter how long it lasts? And even now, during this COVID-19 pandemic, how many of us are sitting and watching our Netflix and our Amazon Prime and consuming series and movies and television shows? How many of us are just watching things? Where do you think those things get created? You know, and live performances have been completely shut down. So there is a real need in this country for support for the performing arts. Even in the city right now, all of the supporting jobs, the ushers, the servers at the restaurants, the choreographers, the costume designers, the directors, so many things have been on pause since March, and now we're headed into the end of the year. I'm praying for a vaccine, and I'm praying for our industry to return. Let me quickly explain about auditions in case you don't know how people get cast in things. For one thing, these jobs are not like a job that you get and you just keep forever and ever. Usually it's a project. So a film project has a start date of shooting and then a wrap date when the shooting is over. And then the project goes into post-production and they edit it and then they release it. So in a show, like a live performance, there is the writing of it, the creation of it, and then a casting director gets hired, a director gets attached, a choreographer, and then they hold auditions. Now, it used to be where New York was the epicenter of anything involving live performances. That has expanded a little bit. Chicago has a great market. Philadelphia has a smaller market, but still very active. There's D.C., there's Florida, there's L.A., but New York is where Broadway is, and so that is where I chose to make my central location, my central hub. The tricky part about a project is that when it ends, you have to start all over again. Sometimes you feel like you're starting from square one, but here's the thing. With each project, you make new friends and you build your professional relationships, like any industry. But in show business, word of mouth gets around. So you wanna maintain a professional persona. You wanna be someone that's easy to work with, someone that brings something to the project, someone that's reliable, dependable, and as well as talented. But talent will only get you so far. You can be a talented person and a jerk, and eventually no one will wanna work with you. Sometimes the time between projects can be long or sometimes you hit a run and you just book a job, then you book another job. And then the best part is when you're on a job, you're still working and you book the next job. So sometimes you can have a year or two years where you just go from project to project nonstop. I really like it when that happens. But there are other times when you have a dry spell and you just seem to not book anything for a while. That's why it's important to have other things that interest you in your life, a way to make money, to keep this very expensive career going. I just wanna tell you about a couple of auditions that changed my life. I was in college, getting ready to graduate, 
And that spring semester of my senior year, I started going to auditions. Now, back in the day, we had a newspaper called Backstage, and it used to come out on Thursday nights, and it would be at the newsstands at 10 p.m. Now, if you got it mailed to you, it would arrive a day or two later, which almost was too late sometimes. Now they have it online, backstage.com, but back in the day, there was no .com, so we had to get the paper and open it up and I would circle all the auditions that I planned to attend the following week. Well, in this backstage, there was a call, there was an ad for submissions to a little dinner theater in Booth Bay Harbor, Maine. And I sent in my picture and resume and then I got an invitation to audition NOLA Studios, 250 West 54th Street, and I was to prepare two contrasting songs. So I went there and I got to sing my whole two songs, which is kind of unheard of because sometimes auditions are so crowded that you have to do a 16 bar cut. You get to sing just a little piece of your song. Well, this time I got to sing both of my songs in their entirety. And then they sat me down and interviewed me, which at auditions, usually that is not what happens. But these producers, Peter and Joan McKenney, and the artistic director of this theater, Dominic Garvey, they wanted to know what kind of person I was. And they talked with me for, I want to say, 15, 20 minutes. And I have to say it was one of the best times I've had in my life, just talking with them. And then I got a call a few days later asking me if I wanted to be part of their company that season. So the day I graduated school, my dad and I drove to Maine with my car in a flatbed truck behind my dad's truck. I had this very old car that barely ran, but it was supposed to get me from A to B up there. And I spent the summer working with Dominic Garvey. Now, some of you might know who he was, but let me just describe him. He was a large man but not just large in body, large in heart, spirit, mind, soul. He had several master's degrees. His playing was unparalleled. He was a wonderful musician and he really listened to you. When you were speaking, he just looked into your eyes and he made you feel so great about the choices that you were making as an artist and he made you feel like being in show business was the most wonderful thing in the world. We used to have acting classes and he used to help us develop the songs as a monologue. And he gave me so much music. By the time I left that job, I had such a stack of music. So I spent the entire summer, six nights a week, singing in front of a live audience. And it was kind of an old fashioned type of a show. We would do a review, review for 50 minutes and then we would go backstage and change into some costumes and do a lightly scripted show. Now, I wasn't at the theater when they got busted for doing a little bit of Guys and Dolls, like a shortened version of Guys and Dolls. So after that happened, they were very careful to not do any kind of a book show. 
So that was something that used to keep people from working there. They wanted book shows on their resume. But I have to say my experience was just learning. It was a time of growth and learning. The summer turned into fall and they had a smaller company stay for the fall and they asked me to stay and I was having such a lovely time in the beautiful, beautiful main town of Booth Bay Harbor. I said, yeah, I'll stay. Then that winter, Dominic got a job at the White Mountain Inn in North Conway, New Hampshire. And he asked me, another actress and two actors to go along. And so I got to spend an additional two months working with Dominic in New Hampshire. In between Maine and New Hampshire, a couple of us took a side trip to New York City and we saw, once on this island, the original company with Lachans. And I will never forget how simple that production was and how wonderful it was. There's so much I could say about working with Dominic Garvey and I'm gonna devote another episode to him. Next September in 2021, we're doing a tribute concert for Dominic Garvey at the Booth Bay Harbor Opera House. So I will post information about that. And there's just so much more to say about someone who is so important to you. But the main thing is someone cared and someone listened and someone thought you were good. That's what I try to do with my students now is just give them that belief like, yes, yes, you can do this. Yes, it is the right thing to do. Yes, you got this. Okay, the second audition that I went to, well, it's not the second, but another really meaningful audition that I went to. I did a cruise ship after my experience working in Booth Bay Harbor and in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. I went back to New York for a month and I booked Holland America, the new Amsterdam, and I did a few months on contract. Now that is a whole other podcast episode. We can do an episode about cruise ships. But there was a girl on the ship who was a couple of years older than me and just salty and jaded in that delightful way that certain showgirls are. And when we got back to New York, she had been invited to audition for a company of a chorus line that was happening in Atlantic City. And it was being directed and staged by none other than Bayork Lee. Bayork Lee was the original Connie Wong in the original production of Chorus Line in 1975. And she's one of the very few people that have the rights to have the authority to stage the show. Now, I know Chorus Line goes up all over the place, but Bayork has the Michael Bennett estate blessing to stage the show. So she was putting up a production at the Claridge Casino in Atlantic City. Now, back in this time, all the casinos were putting on Broadway shows. Some of them were cut to 90 minutes, but Chorus Line was to be provided in its entirety, all two hours and 10 minutes of it, not once a night, but twice a night. I did not know this when I went to the audition, but that's okay. So anyway, this was an invited call and I showed up at Faisal's, which no longer exists, but it was one of those little tiny dingy rehearsal studios and it was on 8th Avenue. 8th Avenue was quite the place back in the day. Let me tell you that. It wasn't, I don't know, it's still kind of a little bit gritty, but it was pretty gritty back then. Anyway, I show up 
and there is a man sitting at a small table who happens to be the late Jose Rivera, who was the costume designer of this company, but little did I know that. He was friends with Bayark, and he was helping her out at the audition, which, sidebar, you are always nice to the monitors because oftentimes they are connected to the production, and even if they're not, they're working, so treat them with respect, right? I show up, and I say, hi, is this where the audition for Chorus Line is? And he says, yes, what's your name? And I say, Michelle Bruckner, and he looks on the list, and guys, I'm not on the list because I wasn't invited. He looks at the list and he says, um, I don't see your name. And I said, oh, really? Uh, it's Wednesday, right? It's three o'clock. I was told to come here. And he said, hold on just a minute. He said, do you have a picture and resume? I said, yes. And I, he took it and he went into the room and then he comes out a few minutes later and he says, you can stay. So I auditioned for Bayork and she taught the opening combination and I learned it and I spent a few hours there and then I took the train back home to Islip. I did not have an apartment in the city at the time so I went back home and when I got there my mother said you got a call from a woman named Bayork Lee. She wants you to come back tomorrow is this a callback? And I said, yes, it's a callback and it's a good thing. So I went back and I think I sang that day and Jose gave me a white leotard. He said, I haven't dyed this yet. Try it on. It's a small. And so I tried on this white leotard and they looked at my body and they talked about me. And Bayark said, I want you to play Sheila. To be honest with you, I really didn't know what that meant. We had the cast album at home, and when I was a child, my sister used to say, ooh, ah, living in a junkyard, during one singular sensation. She thought those were the lyrics. And in Islip Express, the junior high group, performing group that we used to do, we used to do a tribute to Chorus Line, and I remember hats, and I remember vests that were so lovingly made by Jolie Thayer but I really didn't quite know everything about Chorus Line, but I was to learn because I got the job and at 23 years old, I got the part of Sheila, who if you know that iconic role, she's a dancer turning 30 and this was a company in Atlantic City and we were to do 12 shows a week, six nights, two shows a night, and we showed up January 2nd, 1992 at the Claridge Casino and they were taking down the Christmas decorations. We had five different cast house and I got put in a cast house with wonderful people. We rehearsed not just from 10 to 6, but we rehearsed from 10 to 10 with a lunch break and a dinner break. And we put that show up in 10 days. Gwen Verdon came to the opening, and I did nine months of that run. Twelve shows a week, and we got strong. As you go from one job to the next, and you keep meeting people, making friends, having all kinds of business and personal relationships, you weave the tapestry of your artistic life. And I really believe that things are meant to be. 
like sometimes you won't get one audition you won't get booked but it means that something else is waiting for you and I really believe that this time of the coronavirus has caused me to look inward and decide what I really want to do and decide what's next for me and it's been interesting and fun and scary so I think that each time of your life is super important and it's important not to rush through. One thing that I learned is that I used to play the waiting room game. I used to do jobs and say, oh, this is okay, but when I'm on Broadway, this will be better. Like I'll be, I'll make it and I'll be there. And I've come to learn that the smallest jobs are sometimes the best ones. The jobs where you laugh the most the jobs where sometimes situations are the most ridiculous, that those are the good jobs. I'd like to take a moment and talk about this episode's sponsor, Maison Marcel Boutique. It's a Paris boutique. Andrea, the owner, she loves Paris so much that she decided to create not just a place to get vintage clothing, but a place to have a Parisian experience. When you walk in the door of her boutique, she hands you a glass of pink champagne and you get to sip the bubbles and browse her shop without any obligation to buy anything. She has every size and she has items for all budgets. She carries lovely French berets so you could get your Emily in Paris on. And she has the most beautiful clothing and accessories. It's on 134 Kings Highway East in Haddonfield, New Jersey. From my house, that takes me about three hours, but I do go down there several times a year and you can also schedule a personal online shopping with Andrea online, which is what I did when we got locked down because everybody next to show business, I love clothes so much. Andrea will also mail things to you. www.maisonmarcelboutique.com Please tell them the showgirl sent you. The Showgirl Tip of the Day podcast has original music composed by Joshua Holloway. Find him on YouTube, Joshua Holloway Music. This podcast is written by Michelle Bruckner and edited by Michelle Bruckner and Joshua Holloway. Find me on Instagram, Showgirl Tip of Day. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week with a new episode. Show, show.